You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentary's Global Rankings. Good morning, wherever you are. Welcome to the show. It's Thursday, May the 4th. I'm coming to you once again from Kentucky, two days out from the Kentucky Derby, Kentucky Oaks Day tomorrow. Classic weekend, as we've been discussing all week in the UK with the Kipco 2000 and 1000 guineas on Saturday and Sunday, respectively. Plenty to discuss in the show, but we need to start with declarations for the Colts Classic at Newmarket, which has yielded a final field of 14 with just the one defection, that being the Ballydoyle third string Cairo does not run. Apart from that, all the others have been declared. Lydia Hislop joins me this morning. We don't have jockeys for the big two as we're recording this. We might by the end, I suppose. It's frustrating, isn't it, that you don't have access to that information and uh, Aidan O'Brien's operation would be similar to Willie Mullins's operation over jumps in that they uh, take it to the wire in terms of the latest they're allowed to put up their jockeys is when they take it too. And I, I just don't think it's particularly helpful. I don't think much is going to change in the few hours difference. And uh, it's it's a it's a, a small irritation, but nonetheless, um, it, it leaves open the question of uh, that you've been discussing this week about whether Ryan Moore is going to ride Auguste Rodin or whether it will be Little Big Bear. Yeah, the assumption is that he's going to ride Auguste Rodin, but I was um, I, I was sort of hoping in some respects he might he might go the other way. I suspect, given the way the markets are going, unless it's a mm-hmm. big bluff, uh, that he will ride the horse that they are talking about as a as a triple crown prospect. I haven't discussed that this week. Triple crown is that still a thing in in, it, in England anyway? I think it should be a thing. I mean, Camelot came pretty close to 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 doing it and and was foiled in, a, in you know in in what, what we look back out on as an unfortunate circumstances um you know he was he was a horse that was able to to do that i think it it should be a thing but one of the points of things like this is that they they do need to be difficult if they were easy they lose value well exactly that um it'll be interesting to see if they do attempt a ledger provided that the horse has done the very easy task of the guineas derby double first i mean it would be interesting to see the extent to which it revived the concept it didn't seem to revive the concept when camelot had a go at it much did it no it didn't um and i think you need to have an operation of the scale and ambition of um cornwall slash bally doyle or you know godolphin godolphin in order to be able to even conceive of this as a possibility and generally the most difficult leg of all of those three well uh, they're all pretty difficult but you know if you've got you, generally you'll be completely probably convinced that a horse will be able to get two of the three demands the question is whether they the horse can get three of the three demands and in Auguste Rodin's um, perspective I would have said that the uh, 2000 guineas is the is is the is the biggest ask in, in many ways I know I know he's favorite but I think there are are horses that are quicker than him and you again you were discussing this little big bear being one of them yeah, definitely. And there's plenty of others that showed quite quite a bit of brilliance as, as two-year-olds as well. What other questions strike you as the most interesting ones out of the race? Well, now that Charlie Appleby has filtered down his 2,000 guineas possibles to his 2,000 guineas actuals, I'm interested by the jockey booking. So William Buick is on Silver Knot and James Doyle is on Noble Style. What do you make of that? I think Silver Knot 
is the less risky proposition, probably. I think that I think William Buick has played a straight bat here with Silver Knot. And it might be the case, and certainly supporters of August Rodan will be will be hoping this is the case, that defeating Epictetus, who we saw winning at Epsom the other day, and Holloway Boy, who runs in the Guineas, is really good form. Because those are the two horses that August Rodan beat in the Vert and Futurity, and they're the two horses that Silver Knot beat uh, earlier in the season. So maybe that is really good form. I have my doubts personally as to whether it is really good form. I s- suspect that Noble Style is the more talented of the so team, do I. But, so comes, do I. but comes with more attached risks. Maybe a bit like Native Trail and Caribus last year. I was always of the view Caribus was more talented, but would he settle? Would he switch off? Did he have the track craft? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. If I was James Doyle, I'd be pretty delighted that William Buick's jumped the way he has. Me too. Uh, I think so too. I think there is a, a touch of brilliance about Noble Style. I thought so all the way through uh, last season. Obviously, we haven't seen him for quite a way. Charlie Appleby ideally would have liked to have gone to the Greenham, but didn't think the ground would would be suitable. He wanted to learn more about whether a mile was the right direction to be headed in uh, with Noble Style and felt that he would have learned more about that by going to seven furlongs at Newbury. He hasn't had that. So, I mean, it, it makes me wonder with the jockey bookings whether the stamina element is a significant doubt within the Godolphin camp. But like you, I think if there is a brilliant horse between those two, it's going to be noble style. I'm a big fan of the horse. So into the brave new world of flat racing, and not just flat racing, but racing at the elite level for well-known jumps trainer Ben Pauling with his first runner in a classic. Polly Pot runs in the 1,000 guineas. She's a big price. We spoke to a rider, Jim Crowley, yesterday. He seemed fairly hopeful. Um, ben, a, a new experience, but is it a meaningfully different one preparing a horse for a race like this to what you're used to? Um, it's it's don't get me wrong, it, it, it is actually it is different. Um, the thing I can't quite get my head around is I have amazingly very little realization of what an incredible race the Guineas is to be you know to be training a horse for the race is really quite something special and. and we just try not to take it for granted really because you know we're very fortunate to be in the position to be sent this horse harry obviously did a brilliant job with her last year um but it is a guineas and it's pretty much the equivalent of turning up with a horse first time out at a queen mother or something similar um and you know we know how much that would mean to us so it's yeah, it's a special occasion we've really enjoyed everything so far the prep touch wood has been um pretty seamless and looking forward to sunday and how do you judge how she's going her well-being and and so forth against the horses that you've already got in the yard yeah so we've we we bought a lead horse uh for her back at the horses in training sale in october Uh, a little horse called matty two actually runs today at salisbury um so we we decided we'd sort of run him as and when she runs so that he's he's there to do the job for her um so it'll be fun to see how he gets on this afternoon um and he's a good little workhorse he's a sort of winner over six furlongs so he's quite a good uh, little good through all her work and we've got a few other flat horses uh four or five um so we're working her against them We've, we've changed the way, obviously, we're training. You know, we're not doing as much with the flat horses, anywhere near as much as we do with the jumpers. Um, but um, the gallop seems to be lending itself very nicely to the job. 
and um, it, it's all gone hopefully okay so far you know Sunday will tell us roughly where we are and whether we've done a decent job or not Heart of Hearts how do you think she'll run? Um, I mean we've we've taken off a two race course gallops um, and it was the idea that Ashim was going to ride her and so he rode her in both both of those gallops and you know he's he's not going to he, he wasn't he, he was quite pleased with both pieces of work actually uh said she felt great and good form moving well um you know who am i to judge actually of where she is because one thing harry said to us before he sent us on to, her on to us was that don't expect her to be you know uh, uh, an absolute machine on the gallops she's not the best work or she does seem to save it for the for the track um her work has been quite good this year i believe uh and everyone else who knows a lot more than i do seems to be happy with it so maybe she's just strengthened up she's in good form uh and let's see how we get on um you know we're not we're not we're not being ridiculous we we realize the size of the mountain in front of us and we're just really hopeful that she can run a nice race because at the end of the day at the start of this season um the guineas was very much targeted targeted as yes it'd be lovely to have a runner in the guineas but we probably thought she was more of an oaks horse than a guineas horse if she's at that level um so not that the the guineas is a prep race because she's she's ready for it but you know that was the thought process is that she might be more competitive in an oaks so we've got to remain you know with that as our plan and we'll, we'll give it our best shot there's plenty of rain around um over the next few days which will be in our favor um the day she won the may hill was on proper soft ground and um i think probably to be really quite effective over a mile she'll need a bit of cut in the ground but i think they'll probably get that by the time Sunday rise, and and I suppose more significantly, is this going to presage a a big Ben Pauling flat racing operation? Is it? Hmm. Um. I mean, we'll we'll see how we get on. To be honest, lucky. Um. You know, we jumping has always been my absolute passion. Um. And. I would say that it will have to go some to to come to that level. Uh, that said, you know we've we don't assemble a big summer jumping team. Uh, we never have, uh, and to have a few flat horses might be really quite enjoyable and, and good fun, and and add another string to our bow. Um, I always planned on training a few flat horses once we'd moved to the new yard, which we did obviously a year ago. Um, I felt that you know we didn't need to push the boundaries until we'd moved and take it all one stage at a time. Uh, and I, I would never say I wouldn't say it's unlikely if we probably trained twenty or thirty, but I wouldn't I couldn't ever see it being an awful lot more than that at this present moment in time. You know, everything can change. Uh, I've really quite enjoyed it so far. Um, we managed to send one to Musselburgh the other day and it got lapped, but that wasn't so much fun. But um, apart from that, we've enjoyed we've enjoyed them. They are, it is an easier game in my view of the training of them. They, you know, they, they, you run them and the next day they bounce out like they haven't had a race and that's not the case necessarily with a three-mile chaser. Um, so, you know, we're enjoying it. It's a bit different um, and we're just looking to see where we 
where we sit amongst it all and hopefully we can be competitive. Well, if uh, if Ben Pauling could pull off the unthinkable, it would be echoes of Pam Sly with Speciosa, wouldn't it, Lydia? Very much so. Very much so. It would be a great story, don't you think? Yeah, terrific story. Terrific story. Um, and it... Uh, he, he at least sort of has had the had the good grace there to sort of say it's been a learning experience and a and a, a genuine a genuine challenge and that he's slightly stabbing in the dark. Quite often when jumps trainers train flat horse, they just go, yeah, just just training the same. It's dead easy. Everyone overcomplicates it. <laughs> I think I think that's I think it, I I love it when people challenge themselves in in that kind of way. And I think I think it was it's it's really interesting. And and she very much adds to what should be a fascinating race. Where are you tending with the um, one thousand guineas? Well, I think if you if you really love seeing brilliant horses, you kind of hope that Tahira wins, don't you? Because she looked mm-hmm. so good when sauntering past, meditating the. In the Moy glare. I do take Aidan O'Brien's point about you know, running Meditate back too quickly at Newmarket, and then we saw a different filly in the Breeders' Cup. She was very good in the Breeders' Cup, and there's no reason why she shouldn't be a bit better as a, a three-year-old. So that could close the gap. But she was so good to hear her, wasn't she? And she I know Dermot Wells saying she hasn't grown much, and she doesn't show much at home anyway, but you know, she's got the pedigree. She's got the performance. She seems a very well-balanced filly. All of those things are going to help. And the fact she's here as well, you know, the fact that she's here, and there was, there was some doubt. It just seems to be a, 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 a tacit affirmative to me. Yeah, exactly. She's clearly she's clearly turning the corner. So so fingers crossed. But there's loads and loads that I could be I could make make nice noises about uh, Remarque mm. probably being top of the list. I love that family. Uh, Remarque, yeah, fantastic. Uh, I I hope she very much runs well. Um, Morge is interesting as well. Is she Murphy riding her for Sai Sai Bin Saror? Uh, Meditate is a you know is a hard knocking top class two year old filly who's got tons of experience. But you know we've seen Aidan O'Brien develop those horses further as three year olds. So you know again you can't dis- discount her. That's going to be re- a really good good race as well. Over the three days at Newmarket, it's going to be really strong stuff, particularly as they've got those two rescheduled races that would have been run at Sandown last week, the uh, Bet365 mile and the Gordon Richards over 10 furlongs. So, I mean, it, it's already a high-class meeting and it's going to be augmented further. We had high-class racing yesterday at Ascot. Uh, it was dubbed Trials Day for, for the Royal meeting and I would imagine there are at least two or three who will be headed back there. Coltrane won the uh, Cigaro Stakes. He'll head back there for the for the Gold Cup, no doubt, and look Pretty good. Trushan was disappointing. Cold Case won the Commonwealth Cup for Carl Burke, who's got three runners in the 2000 guineas. Quite an achievement in itself. And there was an interesting newcomer as well, more of whom in a moment. What did you make of, of Coltrane and Trushan, first of all? Well, that was interesting, wasn't it? I mean, Coltrane, it, I'm a big fan of this horse. He had quite a significant injury um, after the end of his three-year-old career, which kept him off for, for more than a year. And then it looked like he wasn't going to be able to break through to the pattern standard, which he now has done and and threatened, looked like he would be likely to do when he was a, a three-year-old. Um, so it was it was good to see him win win the Cigaro uh, yesterday, you know, quite comfortably in the end. Uh, those noises... That I felt, and Alan King said that he had reflected and wondered whether they were negative after Nottingham about Trushan. Uh, he's now, he, you know, first instincts he feels were the correct ones there. And they're even talking about a hurdling campaign, potentially, um, in order to give the horse a new lease of life. And he feels, he said that the, that Trushan is not the horse he was, that there's not the fight there used to be. And although he's going to be trained for the Gold Cup, 
at Ascot that there's clearly his uh, belief isn't really there whereas Coltrane is is a horse that's going forward and was narrowly beaten by Trishan in in, in conditions that probably favoured that horse in the, the long distance cup and last year of course at the royal meeting was able to win the Ascot stakes and has, has only improved quite a bit since then. Uh, the, the Carl Burke stable continues to to get stronger and stronger. He's in good form too ahead of the Guineas. A cold case laid down quite a decent marker in the three-year-old sprint division yesterday. Definitely. Um, definitely. This is a horse that um, didn't sort of go the, the the straightforward pattern route. He ran third in the gym crack behind Noble Style, of course, but then he went on to win the Weatherby sales race at Doncaster and the Red Car two-year-old trophy. Now, he had a little bit of a setback uh, in the, the, the preparation for the pavilion stakes uh, that he won yesterday. Um, and so you would expect, you know, quite a bit of a step forward. And as you say, you know, Carl's got exciting trio in the uh, 2000 guineas not least indestructible um who he got from um michael o'callaghan's um stable and who was uh quite um quite an impressive promising winner of the craven over the course and distance last time we saw him so yeah the the, the yard are, are are going forward and they've got some really good and interesting horses that could be big talents this season yeah talking of big talents there was a debutante yesterday another progeny of the brilliant Kingman out of Fallen for You called Queen for You, who won a really tidy race on her debut. She's a uh, a half sister to Glorious Journey, that very talented sprinter. And, and Love Is You is a, a full sister. So the pedigree's there. And I, I wonder if she could be one for the coronation stakes. She looks as though she's that way inclined, doesn't she? Um, and as you mentioned, her mum, Fallen for You, won the coronation stakes back in 2012 for John Gosden. Uh, Queen for You trained by John and Thady Gosden now. And it, it was a, a really likeable um, race course debut win. Uh, she was receiving weight from the others because she hadn't raced before. That's not a, a race condition I actually agree with, but nonetheless. Um, and, but she did so in, in stylish fashion, still showing some rawness. And you would imagine that she'll take some sort of stepping stone between here and the coronation stakes, potentially something like the Michael Seeley at York at, at the Dante meeting, Dante festival, something along those lines that will enable her to, that, to take, take a step forward. But yeah, very, very exciting exciting race course debut. Okay, so here at Churchill Downs, continuing the build-up to the Run for the Roses, 149. Great pleasure to be joined by Jonathan Kinchin, Fox Sports analyst, well-known professional better, champion handicapper, and of course, uh, spokesperson in the United States for the burgeoning the Qatar racing operation, who've been our powering our Kentucky Derby previews during the last couple of weeks. Uh, Jonathan, let's just get down to brass tacks and talk about the big race itself. And quite simply, people will be saying, right, cut the nonsense here. What's going to win the race? Yeah, I mean, I, I, look, I'm, I'm struggling. I really like Tappet Trice, but I don't love the draw for his style, right? I wanted him to kind of draw on the outside and just kind of plug along, plug along. Um, if he and can then work hoover out, up the field one by one. Right. If he can work out a trip from out there, I think he can win. But... My eyes keep going back to Forte. I know his speed figures aren't as fast as you feel like you need him to be, but he's won four grade ones. We haven't seen that since Nyquist, and I think he could be dangerous as two. Here's what I'll tell you. Brad Cox or Todd Pletcher is going to win the <laughs> You've only got seven shots, <laughs> Cox and Pletcher. I mean, Pletcher's obviously got the stronger hand, hasn't he, with Forte and Tappet, Trice and Kings Barnes. They're all credentialed. Cox, it's a little less clear, though when we were speaking to Charlie O'Connor earlier in the week, he was very confident about verifying. He made bits and pieces of cases for his. No, I love verifying. I just hate the draw. Once again, I just, I think when you're drawing... They're going to go, they're going to they're gonna drill him, apparently. Yeah, they're going to send him away from there, but I think others are going to kind of go too, so he's going to get some pressure. The 
thing about verifying is that he was drawn outside. I'd love him. He's like potentially my pick. But inside, he's going to have pressure from the outside. He's going to have to be a monster on, on Saturday. Okay, so with Tapit Trice, is it, is it one of those where you feel in your gut as a long-standing observer of horse racing that he's probably got the most ability in the race, but... I don't know if he has the most ability. I think he has the best style for this race. For a mile and a quarter. Because he just, gallops. Just kind of plugs along and plugs along. And, he, and last time in the bluegrass, he was a little bit closer. He was kind of naughty early in his career, falling way back out of it and then coming to run late. But he kind of put himself into the race last time. If he can do that here and work out a trip somehow in the clear and not get stopped, I think he can win. Uh, my figures, boys, all say practical move, that those triple-digit buyers are legitimate and that he is coming here shouldn't be underestimated i have a figure guy that thinks that that figure is too fast the guy that if i had to pick someone to pick a figure that my life depended on pick apart the figure so the figures do lie yes he said he, he thought uh, practical move he thought the, the the california races uh that number was a little bit too fast i guess th- th- there's a variant situation they maybe could have split it didn't split it and that's why that race has come back so fast. A lot of horses have come out of that race and not run particularly well. All right, go explain that for my international audience who don't study American speed figures all the time. When you say there's a variant and they could have split it or they could have interpreted it a different way, we always think, well, the numbers don't lie. What, what could they have done differently? Well, our racetracks change. You know, dirt surfaces with, with, with weather and moisture and, and wind uh, throughout a day. A racetrack that's run on the first race at noon is completely different than the racetrack you'll run on at 6 o'clock. So the variant tries to help us understand how the racetrack has changed. Um, and, and so the point here is, is that it feels like as if the racetrack might have been changing, making it a very hard figure to make. Okay. You, you've given us a pretty cogent case as to as to who you like and you don't like. Have you figured out in your own head how you're going to play the race yet? I mean, I'm, I'm going to do what I always do in the Kentucky Derby is try to hit the pick six. So I'm just going to try to be alive to horses like Forte, Tap It Trice, Verifying, Angel of Empire. I, I, if I'm going to continue to be a presenter, I probably got to learn how to present, uh, pronounce the Japanese horse's name, but I haven't had to do it yet. Derma Sotogake. See, I knew you'd help me out there. Sotogake. I got schooled on this podcast by Nahiro last week who kept laughing as I was getting it wrong. I mean, I think I'm going to try to get alive to some of those horses. I, I mean, outside of that, I, I don't think it's a very wide open derby. Between the 20, I think it's a wide open derby between six to eight horses. Okay. We're standing here in what is going to be the new paddock here at Churchill Downs. So if you've been here, you'll know what I'm talking about. But they've recited it. So it's sunk and it sits directly below the, the famous Twin Spire, sort of symmetrically below them to the rear of the grandstand. And eventually when they get rid of all this temporary tenting, there'll be sort of two-way glass you'll be able to look out the back of the twin spires over the paddock do you like what you see as a footprint yeah i just walked in today for the first time i haven't been here in a while it looks amazing i think it's gonna look uh it's gonna look outstanding it's funny when you walk around churchill downs you you, you think oh there's not a whole lot they can do differently they've done a lot they've spent a lot of money they've made a lot of changes and they're like oh yeah what about the paddock it wasn't very good pr- before and now it looks like it's going to be outstanding yeah and it just it, it sort of fits better doesn't it it's it's more symmetrical it makes more sense especially for 20 horses in their biggest race the old paddock didn't really fit for that this looks like a, a paddock ring that you could see 20 horses going around in a circle okay. um this is obviously going to be a, a fantastic week can you bet the weather it's beautiful now i'd buy this i, I look i i don't even think about weather until the day until the day i I try not to think about it because you can't control it it'll go left on you it'll rain in the morning on saturday it'll be beautiful by the third post Uh, i don't worry about it until i have to in your qatar racing spokesperson 
capacity. Can you give me encouragement for Caravelle this weekend, the Breeders' Cup, not just for this weekend, but also for Royal Ascot? Cox at Royal Ascot. Spokesperson or not, I have singled Caravelle more than any other human being on this planet. I love her to death. I I actually said I thought she was going to win the Breeders' Cup uh, a couple of years ago. Um, she just never really, she kind of fell off a of form when she won at Saratoga. Uh, I think she's outstanding, and I think she'll be tough, tough, tough to beat. I looked at that race this morning on the plane. She looks like a layover again. All right, and finally, quick plug for JK Plus One, which, of course, you can also hear on the In The Money Media Network, which is where this podcast is syndicated in the United States. Yeah, we just released Mike Smith this week. We had uh, Darren Rogers from From Trinidad. where? Uh, yeah, exactly. We, we released Darren uh, Rogers from last week. We had uh, my favorite one so far this year has been Angel Cordero with video. It's been oh, outstanding. Superb. So you can go back and watch all of those. But yep. Mike Smith is the latest one to drop. Mike Smith is the latest one. Came out uh, about 24 hours ago. Beautiful. Jonathan Kinchin, thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of Derby Week. Thanks, Nick. Jonathan Kinchin there. Oh, and whilst there was no doubt a buzz around Churchill Downs yesterday and continues to be so in the lead up to one of the world's most significant and and totemic horse races. The edge is very much taken off that by the fact that there have been four equine fatalities suffered on the track over five days at Churchill Downs. And two of those are as yet unexplained fatalities from the same stable, that of uh, Safi Joseph, um, Parents Pride and Chasing Artie, also in the same ownership of Ken Ramsey. Now, Churchill Downs have released a statement clearly recognising their responsibilities in the lead-up to such a high-profile race. Lydia, the rhetoric of that statement is is interesting and, and I think particularly significant uh, given what we as a sport globally have been talking about over much of the last few weeks in, in relation to, to horse welfare and, and the perception of the sport. Yeah, it was a very arresting statement, I thought. And if I'm honest, I feel that it was misjudged in a number of ways. If I was Safi Joseph Jr., I'd be pretty unhappy about the way in which um, I have been, uh, by implication, portrayed within that press release. Um, As you say, it highlights that the two horses that were trained by him that died suddenly, they said, the quote is, died suddenly of a cause yet to be identified. Well, that, you know, you have to wait for the necropsy reports, the post-mortems, before you, you know something like this. And it might it might well turn out to be that these um, deaths are entirely unrelated to each other and potentially coincidental. I mean, that, that potential still exists at this point. And, you know, you might argue is the more likely one. But the, the, the statement that they have made, are, I believe, has created doubt in the minds of those people who read it about you know what why those horses uh, might might have died and about um Safi Joseph Judia's training record and these seems to be unfair and I would be unhappy if I were him and I think I would make that known to Churchill Downs and I also thought within the rhetoric of of Churchill Downs they say that the four deaths um, are completely unacceptable but they also talk about eliminate risk and I think that's a very dangerous area um, horse racing uh, to be going into and any any animal sport really or any 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 sport full stop because you can never make it a hundred percent safe and if you're holding yourself to an impossible target and allowing critics to hold you to an impossible target in the way that the RSPCA recently has started doing in Britain you know Dr Mark Kennedy you you appeared on a mm. debate on LBC um, a talk radio station with him and um, he was talking about how um, racing should be we should be ambitious 
changes in asking racing to basically remove all risk. And I think if you start agreeing with this as a as a feasible target for something life, uh, but particularly sport, that that, that, that as part of it does have risk then as i say you're you're holding yourself to an impossible target and you're on a hiding to nothing now you have not been on the on the podcast lydia since the publication of the white paper something for which you're probably extremely grateful um <laughs> and, and and fear not after last week's extensive treatment of the white paper we're not going to go headlong into this again but uh, the uh, chief executive of uh, flutter has come out in the racing post over the last 24 hours, expressing strong reservations about the ability of um, betting and, and gaming companies to 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 actually deal with the frictionless checks that are proposed in the white paper. And this was a point that Joe Somerset Smith, the chairman of the BHA, was making on uh, my Sunday show on Racing TV when he said the technology is simply not in place to mm. to, to execute the wishes of uh, of the white paper. What do you make of this? I think that those are uh, fair comments. I, 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 I very much doubt whether, whether that is in place. And it, it takes us back to the Brexit arguments where we were told that border checks could be frictionless and people who, who had actual expertise of that suggested that that wouldn't be the case. I think there is a, a sort of uh, belief um, in central government that, oh, technology will sort this out and the actual impact on the ground is is very far from that. So, yeah, I, I, I support that. But, I mean, the point is here that in many ways it has set the the starting gun on uh, a, in a number of areas that need to be further consulted about. But uh, I suppose there is a line between, you know, the white paper has said what should be happening. And it's not, it, I don't think it's any longer up for debate that things happen or not. It's just how they happen that is here on in. But that you wouldn't be, wouldn't really recognise that from what we're seeing in the British newspapers at the moment, where it, it is clear yeah. that, uh, those members of Parliament's peers who have any kind of connection to the gambling industry are currently being very closely scrutinised, and it's part of the the public rhetoric, the public um, mood in many ways, whereby um, betting and gambling have started to to be moved into the sites of people who just just don't like it. You know, it's it, it's not just you know problem gambling um, or or people who have have uh, developed a, 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 an addiction. It to to that it's just the general sort of moralistic tone that has pervaded into this whole area and it's it keeps coming and it's interesting because i i heard the other day uh going completely unchecked the notion that that lobbying was in some way in some way illegal well well lobbying is is far, is far from illegal lobbying is an accepted part of of the way that the way that government operates uh, and has been forever it's the distinction between lobbying and and bribery that's got to be considered important but when when mps and peers are are now connected with gambling companies it, it never comes with positive connotations when the story's written up no i mean i suppose that there's several points here in that the more I agree that lobbying is is part of um public life and if you if you banned lobbying and i know that then lots of people would like to do that then you're 
you're cutting off um, the possibility of people with reasoned and reasonable um, thoughts and campaigns having access to explain their case in detail to members of parliament. And I, I, I don't ag agree with that. That that just seems silly to me. Um, what you what you need is a well-regulated, fully transparent system whereby uh, big companies or big organisations are not allowed to monopolise the conversation. So the concern, the valid concern, I think, that, that exists about lobbying is that um, it, uh, smaller voices, lesser voices, um, you know, people who are less powerful don't manage to get the same access or, or, or ability to be listened to as those more powerful voices. That's that's where, for me, the concern comes because you, you feel that the what's being heard is unbalanced. And of course, in, in this instance, the perception that there is an imbalance of power is going to be reinforced by the fact that if you are lobbying on behalf of and this could be anything. These could be any major corporations. But in this instance, it's, it's, it's gambling companies. If you're lobbying on behalf of the gambling industry, then you know, understandably, people will see um, FTSE 100 listed, um, sometimes global multinational you know, billion dollar billion dollar companies being represented. And the sympathy for that industry from um, the man on the clap omnibus is going to be pretty limited. Yeah, Um Whereas, you know, government will be taking a, a larger picture as well, which involves that company's, you know, worth to um, British society. But I mean, if you take something like the ombudsman that has been suggested, which is a which is a great thing, provided uh, that it doesn't become too close to the industry. Now, that is somewhere where, you know, lobbying potentially could um, change or have a fundamental effect of how. Uh, that role is executed. Uh, I think it needs to be fully independent. And I think that um, the case for why it needs to be fully independent needs to be heard. I'm very confident that uh, the uh, gambling companies and those people representing them will explain why that, how, that, how they think uh, that ombudsman should should work. I think that, sh that, 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 the, that that should be consulted much more widely than purely that, that lobbying point of view. So, you know, I... I, I, I get it. Um, I, I, I do support lobbying, but it needs to be transparent and it needs to be accessible to more than just the people with a lot of money to, to splash around. Uh, onto the whip, uh, another one of our favourite subjects. Neil Callan has become the latest jockey to attempt or, or to appeal a whip suspension under the, the new-ish regulations and has become the latest jockey to fail in that appeal. This time he cited the necessity to use his whip for safety reasons. The panel dismiss that Lydia yes I didn't sit on this uh, this hearing but yes he'd used the his whip uh, one over the maximum of six and he also got a penalty for above shoulder height the latter he didn't dispute and we've had a number of uh, appeals that are essentially testing the parameters and the workings of a the uh, whip uh, new whip rules and b uh, the whip review committee and how that functions within the disciplinary structure and uh, this essentially is the is the latest test of where the parameters sit there's been an interesting in intervention hasn't there on mm. twitter um, yes yeah um paul struthers yeah the the ex chief executive of the of the pja you'll remember he he resigned from the PJA after the the Frost Dunn case, um, and he he writes two exclamation marks, a thousand up to exclamation marks. The latest review committee findings 
from 2nd of May mean that in two and a half months, there have been 187 suspensions totaling 1,031 days. Not my definition of quiet, even if it's not newsworthy for many. I mean, that's pretty, pretty pointed. And mm. it, it's clear that that Paul's great strength, which was to to defend the jockeys in a in a regular regulatory capacity to to the hilt, um, you know, run, runs deep still. Yes, and it, it 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 makes me wonder whether he sort of tacitly it's sort of tacitly implying that he thinks this element of um, lobbying <laughs> for the jockeys is in some way falling quiet under the current chief executive and the current chair. He goes on to respond to David Johnson in this thread that you've uh, talked about, and David Johnson works for Timeform. Um, David has suggested that these bans seem to be going to relatively inexperienced jockeys who can hardly afford so many days on the sideline. On the sidelines, it's a sledgehammer to crack a nut approach. And Paul Struthers replies, "I haven't had the time to break it down yet, David." but my sense is that you're probably right and it's something I'll look at in more detail over the coming days. Still, some bigger name jockeys missing out on a lot for technical slash one-over breaches, e.g. Neil Callan this weekend. Um, from a political perspective, that seems to me significant in that he Paul is stepping back into an arena, um, which, as you say, he, he, was, he once had a, a, a formal role as chief executive that he stood down from, um, and I think that there is a perception that, that the the PGA are uh, quite passive, certainly weren't successful in their consultation process over the whip with the BHA, and that it, re it required a lot of um, sort of scrappy subsequent revisions in order to get to a position that was in any way workable. But it's clear that this story hasn't got away, gone away, that it's rumbling on for jockeys who potentially, I'd be very surprised if what Paul is saying is a long way away from what many jockeys are feeling. So my response to this is watch this space in terms of the PJA. Well, it's that time of year where you're just starting to get a, an idea as to which first season sires are starting to to make an impact i don't think there's a huge surprise that that blue point has has done well so far and has had some fast and interesting looking looking winners and certainly his his debutant in france looked looked well out of the ordinary at this stage it'll be fascinating to monitor the progress as the season goes forward and particularly to assess what he is a son of of Shamadal and a jewel royal ascot when it can contribute to the breed and what it might mean for his own sire line. Michael Youngs is a, a, a renowned pedigree consultant and bloodstock expert uh, and joins me now. Michael, this is always a, an interesting time of year when when assessing stallions just starting to, to, to hit the ground. But I, I'm sure like most, you would you would urge some caution before we start off. Yes, I think it's very early. But uh, if uh, anyone who has a blue point or bread to him... Uh, must be very happy with the fast start he has made uh, with his early winners. The, the ratio win, winners to, to runners is, is very good. And the noises before was very good as well. Yeah. And he's a big, strong, powerful horse. And I think he got similar types. So you would expect him to come out of the blocks fairly, fairly fast. And um, he obviously took a little bit after the, the female side as well, because his broodmas eyes are all applause and the second dam, Ballad Rock. So you do have to kick on with these faster horses because if they're ready, um, that's what they're bred for. And there is a 
big appetite and market for that type of horse, getting bigger and bigger as it's a, a, an area people can, you know, be competitive in. And he's by Shamadel. Just try, try uh, as things stand to assess that horse's impact on the, on the breed, Michael. Uh, and one of the ingredients that makes Shamadel so good is his broodmaster, Machiavellian, who is an exceptional influence, uh, what I would call an impact influence. So Shamadel has has very strong genetics to make it, and Lope de Vega has uh, very strong genetics to make it as well. He is actually inbred to Machiavellian, and Lope de Vega is out of a group, winning group one placed to uh, place down whereas blue point is actually bred on the on the female side to be showing more speed although i would call lope de vega a power power speed horse but, but what i mean by that is uh, a lot of shamadals uh, sorry lope de vegas excel at sort of let's say seven furlongs and they have a a long stride for the seven furlongs. They want a fast place, fast pace, and which they can sit behind, and they can cut, so keep on going past the sort of six furlong sprinters, and are very good at that seven furlong, eight furlong area where they they want to sit behind a, a fast pace and they can keep going. Um, Blue Point himself, he was he was more a sprinter. He was a six furlong horse. And he, he's bred on his dam side to be a six furlong horse, whereas Lope de Vega is a slightly more classically bred horse, going a little bit further. Uh, and, and can get horses that go beyond eight furlongs. Michael, given how many young stallions there are now at uh, at Dali by by Shamadal, you talked about Blue Point, Earthlight, Victor Lodorum, um, uh, Pinatubo being a, another one who was a ve- very talented racehorse. How important yes. is having that extra dimension, given how much Dubawi is already in that stallion station? Uh, yeah, I think what Shamadal brings, and the Shamadal brings to the, the, the breed in Europe, is, is the fact he's an outcross to Saddlerswell's Galileo Danehill and to Dubawi. Um, to an extent, um, it's very important to have these outcross influences. And, you know, now with the big books that we breed, and, you know, Galileo had big books, Dane had big, big, big books, Dubawi has big books. Now, all, they all have big books. And so you are getting less and less of the diversity of bloodlines, maybe you could argue. So when you have a stallion like Shamadal, who is not from a Saddler's Wells or Dane Hill bloodlines, doing exceptionally well they can make hay with with the quality mares that 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 have those other bloodlines and obviously there's there's multiple other bloodlines pinatubas of a dalakani mare uh whose second ambarathia was by saddles wells and and you you have you have a whole whole list of others but but a, a stallion that is good can do really well with the, the the daughters of the great stallions that have gone before him. So Shamadal is an outcross, and uh, Lope de Vega is an outcross, particularly to the, the Danehill line in, in Lope de Vega's uh, case and to uh, Sellers Wells as well. So and Dubawi is a is also the same thing. You know he's doing exceptionally well now, uh, combined with Frankel. Um, certainly, uh, Frankel out of Dubawi mares is an interesting one, and I'm sure it'll be the reverse as well. So having having a diverse set of bloodlines is very interesting. And this weekend, uh, you know, Deep Impact again, you know, um, uh, the Saxon warrior before him uh, is a son of Deep Impact. Coolmore went to Japan and the bred Deep Impact, getting a very very high class influence who is an outcross to their to their to their mares. In Saxon warrior's case, out of a Galileo mare, next down by Daniel. 
fascinating stuff there from bloodstock expert michael youngs my thanks to him to jonathan kinchin to ben pauling lydia hislop is still with me covered a whole range of topics this morning lydia but uh, people will be hanging on for the piece of sound advice that is coming right now i can't promise it's sound advice um i am going to go away and back noble style i've been i've been thinking about it for um well probably since before the jim crack um backing him um and i think i will i'm glad i did wait long because i'm getting a much much bigger price for him um but i'm not going to actually put him as the tip that is it, it at Newmarket tomorrow at three o'clock final watch um for for william stone um uh, i thought that the horse ran quite promisingly last time out um at Newmarket, found himself in the wrong position i think he can build on the opening run from a viable mark so that is a uh, final watch at three o'clock at Newmarket on friday lydia thanks so much thank you very much for listening i'll be back again to do it tomorrow that was thursday may the 4th bye-bye You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.